Our sermon scripture reading this morning is from Exodus chapters 3 and 4. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And the elders will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of J Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. But Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. 
But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. Thank you, Sarah. It's a fascinating passage as we find ourselves coming out of all the promises to the patriarchs and now 400 years of slavery and then Moses. And this moment is Moses' call, right? And we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about the, the objections and the answers. This is one of those conversations that we capture in the Bible between someone who's trying to follow God or, or not sure if he wants to follow God and God himself talking to him about what it means for him to be God. And, but there's a setup. There's kind of a picture of what we learn about God just from the basics before there's even a conversation uh, with Moses. The first is that God says, I, I'm holy. I make things holy. That the very ground that you're standing on, Moses, is holy because I'm here. When I touch things, I make them holy, which means you need to take off your sandals as a, as a declaration, a representation of the fact that I am separate, I am other, I am someone to be revered, I am holy. But I'm also a God who sees. He says, I've seen the affliction of my people. He says it three times. I've seen the affliction of my people. I've watched and seen what's happened, and I have... I'm going to, I'm moved, I'm coming down. I'm a God who sees, and I'm also a God who delivers. I'm a God who's going to come and rescue and draw the children of Israel out of Egypt. And, and Moses, I'm, I'm going to do it through you. So God gives this clear call to Moses in verse 10. He says, come Moses, I just told you the plan. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And then Moses considers. Now he's, he's heard that it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's covered his face in fear, realizing, of, my goodness, this is, this is the God of my forefathers. But then suddenly he's like, wait a minute, I have to go to Pharaoh? He says, objection number one, Exodus first, chapter three, verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and, and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God, I, I'm, I'm nobody. Like I'm a shepherd nobody, which is like a nobody nobody. I failed in the past at some attempts at deliverance and liberation. I, I, I who am I? I'm nobody, Lord. And God answers him. This is what the Lord says in verse 12. And the Lord said, he said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now notice that God doesn't say, no, no, Moses, like you are somebody. Like you just haven't come to realize just how awesome you are. You just have to look inside and find who you are and, and allow that to spring forth and to come out. That's what we need. We need the truest and best Moses. It's not what he says. Not at all. 
It's not that it's not true. Moses is actually someone pretty impressive in many ways, right? Raised in Egypt. He's got all the training that comes from 40 years of being in Egypt. It's pretty impressive. And he's got 40 years as a shepherd, which will become handy later on. So pretty patient. Turned out to become a pretty humble man. It's not that it's not true. It's not that it's untrue. It's just that it's not adequate for Moses. God says, what Moses, you need to know is not who you are, but who will be with you. It's not so much about who you are, it's about who's going to be with you. And then God, God gives him this promise. I've captured this, but God's a promising God. He's made a bunch of promises to us. He makes a bunch of promises to the forefathers saying like, forefathers, the patriarchs saying, hey, listen, I'm about to do something significant. And he makes this promise to, to Moses. He says, listen, I, I'm going to be with you. And by the way, let me just give you a sign. This isn't a sign for anybody else. This is just for Moses. This mountain that we're on where I just declared myself holy, you're going to come back here and you're going to worship here with the people of Israel. Done. It's going to happen. It's a promise to you. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, right? Cool, we just sign on the line. Now through the scriptures, we see like over and over God promising something significant to people, calling people to significant like journeys, to significant tasks. To, and he doesn't promise that it won't be hard, doesn't promise that they won't have losses in the process. But almost every single time he says, but I just want you to know, I will be with you. He says it to Abraham, he says it to Isaac, he says it to Jacob, he says it, he says it to, uh, to, to Gideon, he says it to David, he says it to Solomon, he says it through Isaiah, over and over, I will be with you. And of course, Jesus, as he sends out his disciples, says, and behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. But there's this promise over the people of God, not of ease, not, not that things won't be difficult, but that God will be with you. So I don't know what God's called you into. I don't know what you're finding yourself in the midst of, but this I know, God is with you. And God promises to be with you. Promises to be with Moses. But it, it's not enough, at least not yet. So Moses brings up his second objection. It's more of a, of a question well, it's a question, an objection in the form of a question. He says in verse 13, then Moses said to God, if, if I come to the people and I say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Now, what shall I say to them? Moses is looking at God and saying, how will they know that they can trust you when they don't know you yet? It's been 430 years. That's like 200 years almost more than our country's been around. So we're going to call that a long time. The people don't know who this God is. And so Moses is saying, I, you just showed up to me. What is your name? What are you about? Can you identify yourself? Can you separate yourself from the gods of Egypt that we know pretty well? But what is your name? What are you about? What are you made of? Tell me. That I may tell them. But... But honestly, tell me. And God answers in two parts. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. I am, this is the, the Hebrew word for just to be. Another way of saying this is tell them that, that being itself has sent you. Being itself has sent you. My good buddy Tim Keller pointed out that, that God illustrates the reality of what he means by I am who I am, which was the first time that was declared by, by how he shows up to Moses in the fire itself. Because if you think about it, a fire, any fire you've made, it depends on fuel, right? So if a fire is burning a bush, it's using the bush itself to fuel itself, right? And eventually it runs out of fuel. Now I know West Coast, it looks like there's never gonna run out of fuel, but, but eventually it runs out of fuel because it has to have fuel, it has to find something to burn. But this fire is not consuming the bush, which is why Moses actually goes to look at it. Not that it's on fire, that's not news. It's the fact that it's not consuming anything. It's not consuming the, the bush. What it means is it doesn't need fuel. That this fire depends on nothing. This is a fire that has its own infinite source of being, of power. It's, it's being and power that's not based on something else. It's finding its power within, not without. That's what God's saying when he says, I am who I am. He says, I have no beginning and I have no end. There's never been a time where you could have said of me, God was. There's never a time where you could have said of him, I will be. I always am. There's no beginning and there's no end in me. Said another way, there is absolutely no power or being that has caused me. Because I am the cause and the source of all power and of all being. I am who I am. This is one of those attributes of God we call the incommunicable attributes of God. None of us exist in our own power. It's called the absolute sufficiency of God, God's self-existence as God. The reality that God depends on nothing, but that all things depend on him. This is the declaration. This is the answer to Moses. You want to know who I am? I am the one who is self-sufficient. And I stand alone as that one. Tell them that being, being itself has sent you. But, but he doesn't stop there. I don't know if you notice, he says that and you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to have to get my head around that. And it's kind of philosophical and being itself and the, the source and it doesn't depend on anything else. But, but then he goes very particular. Verse 15, God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. This is still an answer to Moses' question. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Do you know, he said three different times, God, Father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is not some force. This is not some uncaused cause out there that's, that's impersonal. This is a personal God who's connected to people, real people in particular ways with particular promises. And he's a God who's fulfilling the promises. If you remember back to Genesis 15, all the way back to Abraham, some probably six to 700 years before this, God had said to Abraham, then the Lord said to Abram, 
Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. You see, the same God that promised to Abraham that he was going to make him a great nation, that the great promise of deliverance to all peoples through him had made a very particular promise about the children of Israel that he was going to bring them out, that he was going to rescue them after 400 years. And what do you know? It's been 400 years, and God is ready to rescue through Moses. It's a grand call. Moses, I am who I am. I'm a promise-keeping God. Moses says, "I I hear you, but the people won't believe me. His third objection Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. God answers pretty simply. He says, because Moses is basically saying, listen, I I don't have power. I I don't have authority. I'm not coming with anything other than just, hey, Over there in the desert, I met God, and this is what he said. I don't have any power, any authority. And God says, you're right. You you don't have any power. But I do. So let me see. What's in your hand? Let's just use that because that's right there. You want some power? I will give you power. And so three different times, God gives him three different signs. One, the staff that turns into a snake. Uh, very helpful educational verse, verse 4 of chapter 4, verse 4 of chapter 4, when, when Moses sees the snake and he runs, that is the appropriate response to seeing a snake. Just so That's a biblical imperative, so I just want you to know. Uh, don't take it by the tail. That's actually the way you get bit. So, don't, that, so biblical imperative, but not the grabbing by the tail, just, just so we're clear, children. Um, it turns back into a staff. And he says, okay, not only do I have power over Egypt, which is, of course, the, the serpent's connected to Egypt. There's way cool stuff about that. We don't have time for that. Um, but he also says, listen, you, I can take my hand and put it in, take your hand put it in your cloak and you pull it out and it's leprous, something that can't be undone. He says, put it back in and it comes back out and it's well. I'm a God who heals. I can, actually bring, I can bring calamity and I can bring healing. I can parse out those that are going to experience disaster and those who are going to experience healing. I'm that big. I'm that powerful. Show them that I can do this, and he will through 10 plagues. And lastly, he says, and listen, if they, if they don't believe even those two things, grab some water out of the Nile, which is the very life of Egypt, and, and pour it on the ground and realize it's going to become blood. And they'll believe you. And Moses will do all of these. You don't have the power, Moses. It's correct. But I do. I have the power, and I am giving my power to you. Because... What God initiates, God empowers. What God initiates, God empowers. And he's come to Moses, not because Moses was looking for him. He was minding his own business in the middle of the desert with some sheep. But God initiates, and so God empowers. The fourth objection is probably maybe our most natural objection to when God calls us into things. Verse 10 of chapter 4, but Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and tongue. I love how he clarifies, 
even since we've been talking, like, have you noticed this? Like, we don't know if it's a lisp, if he's just like, he slurs his words. We, we don't know what it was, but apparently he did not feel comfortable in public speaking. Now, good news, according to the anxiety people, public speaking is the number one anxiety uh, creating thing in the, in, in the world. Isn't that amazing? Like 73% of people have public speaking anxiety. Actually, I have the name here. It's called, because you're wondering, glossophobia. And you would think, you know, Matt, you talk for, for, for a living. This must never happen to you. It's like, no, no. No, no, it, it happens quite, quite regularly. Actually, if you go back to the, the, the week right before Easter of this past year, you know, when, when no one was in the room. Um, I, know, you, I know you're thinking, well, you were nobody was in the room. I'm like, that's actually worse. Um, like, I almost had a panic attack. I, maybe I did have a panic attack. This is, I'm, I'm a three Enneagram. You don't actually have a panic attack. You almost have a panic attack, you know, because I have my act together. Um, but seriously, I, I'm sitting out there, I'm having a panic attack. Becky's like, you're having a panic attack. I'm like, I think I'm having a panic attack. And some of it was like, I have to speak to and get you all to experience the wonder of Easter through that little lens. Like, it's not going to work. And all things depend on this. And like, Lord, what's going to happen? Our church is going to crumble. And I'm like freaking out. Lord, I don't have it. I don't have the words. They're not going to come out. Right? Not, there's not enough power to be. So just know it happens to pretty much everybody. Maybe it's may higher than 73%. But Moses clearly has it. He says, listen, I, Lord, you got the wrong guy. I got the wrong gifts. I, you're wanting me to be the one who's a spokesman for you. I don't spoke well. So how, how, you, you, you got the wrong person. I'm, I'm deficient. I have weaknesses and they're just too great to overcome. And so I just want to take a pause in this moment and just say like, what are your objections? Like, as you think about the things that God has called you into, even in the past, like what are your objections? What are your well but Lord? I hear you, but you don't understand. I don't have the gifting or I don't have the pedigree. I don't have the credentials yet. I got, I mean, soon and I'll have a master's, then people will listen to me. I don't have the credibility or the relational equity to be able to like make those kinds of contacts or reach out to those kinds of people. I don't have the kind of charisma to be able to move anyone towards anything or the kind of expertise that people would respect. I'm not wise enough. I just haven't had enough experience to know better. I don't have capital. I'm, I'm just not mature enough yet. Or I don't have enough spiritual depth. I haven't been trained. I don't have enough knowledge. Like whatever. What, what are your objections? For for hold on. No, it, I really not. I, you got the wrong person. Listen to how God answers him. Exodus chapter four, verse eleven, twelve. Then the Lord said to him, "This is awesome." Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. You see, God always asks the question to us, who? Who's the question God asks? Who are you looking at, Moses? Are you looking at you? Are you looking at what you got? No, no. 
look at me. I, I made the mouth. See previous conversation about I am who I am. You see, I can do all things. Look to me. I'm the maker of mouths. Don't lean on your words that you don't have. Lean on me as the one who spoke the world into being. I got the words, Moses. So what does he have for you? What do you need to be reminded that he has made, that he owns, that he can do? This is precisely what Jesus will say to his disciples in Luke chapter 12. He'll look at them in, in a very similar context. He'll say, hey, listen, boys, because they're mostly boys, these disciples. In verse 11, he says, and when they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and the authorities, you know, in front of Pharaoh, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you should, what you ought to say. You don't even get to prep. Now see, the one who made the mouth will give you the words. It's a key principle here that emerges from all of these objections and really culminate in this very moment. It's these first four that we're never much used to God until we have come to the end of ourselves. Really never much used to God until we come to the realization, like, you know what? I don't think I have a whole lot to offer. And God's like, okay, finally, now we can work with this. Think about it. You can't even become a Christian until you come to the end of yourself, right? Until you come to the realization that your best efforts, like your, 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 your best moves, your, your best behavior will never commend you to the Lord. Will never bridge the, the gap that exists. You can't, you can't until you realize that you're, you're out, you, then you don't have an opportunity. But once you know that you are without hope, then God says, oh, now come, welcome. This is true in how God works out his plans for us. That's why Jesus says, you know, I'm the vine, John 15, five, right? I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I think, I think we spend time on that first section there. And it's beautiful about the picture of the vine and the branches. And it's all coming from Jesus. But like his declaration is the part that we cannot get our, arms, our hearts and minds around. That is that like you can't do anything. Like not even a little. Like he leaves no room for that. You've got nothing, he's saying. Apart from me, you've got nothing. So if God empowers what he initiates, then you've got something. Until you realize that you don't have anything, you're not able to be used by him yet. Until you come to the place where you say, I have nothing. You can't have the kind of self-forgetfulness, the kind of self-awareness, or the kind of wisdom and power and dependence to make you useful to him. Which is why 2 Corinthians 4, uh, Paul kind of captures this when he says, but we have this treasure, this treasure of Christ in jars of clay. We're just pottery. Like the kind of pottery, like you kick over it, it just breaks. That's, that's us, jars of clay. And we have it so to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
Loved ones, if there's something that I think God's inviting us to draw out of this moment that he has with, this unbelievable moment he has with Moses, is that the surpassing power belongs to God. Like we are such a culture of you've got it, you can make it happen, you can become anything. It's like, no, you can't. Apart from him, you can do nothing, but he's got surpassing power. Like that's good news. Like if you, if you think you've got it, like, sorry, bad news for you. But, but if you know that you don't have it, good news, the surpassing power belongs to him and not to us. Now, now don't get me wrong. Like he's, he's calling Moses. He uses flawed people. We've been reading Genesis, right? Like he uses all kinds of flawed people to display his glory for his purposes. He's called Moses to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to Moses. And Moses is saying, I have no power. And God says, I know the surpassing power belongs to me. Loved ones, God's calling on your life is not restricted to your passions or your abilities. It's not limited to your weaknesses. It's not limited to your past. It's not limited to your lack of resources. Part of what it means to take hold of our calling is God, as God invites us to step out in faith in light of who he's made us in all kinds of context is the very means of producing the kind of awareness and deepening conviction that the surpassing power belongs to him. It's as we step out, as we trust him, that we discover it. We will see a different Moses from here on out. You've already seen some of it. More and more we will come to realize, he, he comes to realize as he spends time with God and experiences God that, oh, ah, it turns out he can do anything. Maybe I can trust him with everything. If we don't move into what God's calling us into at any given moment or with our life, we risk remaining stuck in a limited story and with a small God. And so, so I ask you this morning, like, do you have a small God? Is your God small because, because you're managing him? Eventually, we settle into the final objection if we don't choose to listen to God and move out, and that is the very clear declaration by Moses in verse 13, chapter 4. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Man. Send someone else. I, I don't want to. I can't, I can't, I'm nobody. I don't want to. Don't put me in, coach. Leave me to my sheep. My life may not be much, but at least it's comfortable and it's predictable. And I'm not at risk of rejection or failure. Like, have you, have you, met, have you seen what I've done? Did you see what happened in Egypt? Like, it didn't go well. I, I tried something and it failed. And like, I don't want to go back there. That was a bad experience. I had a bad experience. Won't let that happen again. Send someone else, send a professional, you know, like send, a, like, send like a pastor or, or, or a counselor or, you know, a social worker, or like a professional, someone who knows what they're doing. I'm, I'm just a sheep herder at this point. Send anyone else. Loved ones, let me tell you, like God hasn't sent me to help your neighbors who are working through the trials of a hopeless marriage. He's sending you. 
Like he's not sending your friends to try and like breathe like vibrancy and God's like, kingdom spirit into the kind of work that you do and into your team. Like he's calling you. Like God's not calling some other parent to be able to like breathe life into your kids, like real thriving, hope-giving life. Like he's, he's sending you. God's not calling someone else to be able to fight for the people who can't fight for themselves. He's, he's calling and sending you. If God is calling and sending you, then he's calling and sending you, not someone else. And God answers. Verse 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. There's two parts to God's answer to Moses's, I don't want to. First is anger. I know, is God allowed to be angry? Oh yeah, no, he's angry. This is righteous anger. Moses is rejecting God's person. He's rejecting his presence that's in front of him. He's rejecting his purposes. Like he's basically saying, I know you've shown me all these things, the power that he just put into his hand. He's going like, no. And God is rightly and righteously angry with him. God is angry. And what's amazing it's not that God is angry at Moses. Of course he is. It's fitting. It's that Moses is not consumed by God's anger. Like, you remember there's a fire bush thing in front of him? Like, a little bit later here in, in Exodus Leviticus, we're going to see, like, some fire come out and, like, mess some people up. Like, what? That didn't happen here. Why is Moses not consumed? He's not consumed. Instead, God responds, now catch this, God responds in his anger, not with fire, but with grace. In his anger, he responds with forbearance and patience for Moses. Like that is good news. It's good news for you today. In Exodus 34, Moses is going to ask to see the glory of the Lord, and God's going to say, I'm going to pass in front of you. And this is what happens when that happens. God passes, and the Lord passed before him, verse 6 of chapter 34, and the Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You want to know who I am? I'm going to declare it to you. I'm slow to anger. I abound in covenant, steadfast love, faithfulness, merciful. Moses, you won't go. I'll send somebody to you. I'll send your brother to you. Some, someone someone you, you, you know, maybe you miss. And, and not only that, actually, you know what, Moses? He's already on his way. Like the mercy of the Lord is ahead of you. Like I, my desire is for you to trust me, but if, if I'm not enough, let me bring someone else to help you. 
So I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in loving kindness. Though my anger is righteous, it does not produce death at this moment. That's amazing. How does God's righteous anger with Moses, how does our rejection of God, Moses' rejection of God, not consume us? Well, the key to this whole thing is back in Exodus chapter 3, verse, verse 2. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Angel of the Lord. Huh. Then verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Which is it? Is it the angel of the Lord or is it God? The answer is yes. This is one of many places, about a dozen or so in the Old Testament, where God sends his presence in order to bring his presence near to someone through and in the angel of the Lord. And this is no ordinary angel. Like normal angels are like Gabriel, you know, the one who shows up to Mary and is like, I have a message for you from the Lord. You're about to be pregnant. I mean, that, that's an important role. It's this big deal. Gabriel clearly, like, he, 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 was, he won, right? I mean, that's like the best job ever to, to be able to declare that news. But he's not the angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord comes and speaks to Hagar, if you remember, and, and he speaks like he's God. Alec uh, Matier, he's uh, an Old Testament scholar and commentary, and he says, he says this, he says, the angel of the Lord is revealed as a merciful accommodation of God, whereby the Lord can be present among a sinful people when, were he to go with them himself, his presence would consume them. He goes on to say that the angel is that mode of deity whereby the holy God can keep company with sinners without destroying them. You see, actually, later on, um, when, when um, Israel's turned their back on God and God says, I won't go with you, but I'll send the angel of the Lord before you, and Moses is like, okay. The merciful accommodation of God. He goes on to say, so who, who, who can that be? Who can this angel of the Lord be who is this merciful accommodation of God? He, Alex goes on to say, there is only one other in the Bible who is both identical with and yet distinct from the Lord. One who, while affirming the wrath of God, is yet a supreme display of his mercy. You see, the angel of the Lord can only be understood as the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And some 1,400 years later, the angel of the Lord, incarnate in Jesus, will stand on the temple courts which is, you know, the place that God promised his presence to dwell. And he will make this declaration in John, John chapter 8, verse 58. He says, the, all the Pharisees are asking, who are you? Hmm, almost like a question we've heard today. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, ego ami, I am. And they pick up stones to kill him because they know exactly what he's saying. I am the merciful accommodation of God here. I am who I am here with you. 
So how is Moses not consumed? How are the Pharisees who sought to stone Jesus not consumed? How are you and I not consumed? Because the angel of the Lord became man. God became man and God took all the wrath of the rejection of his presence, of his power, of his purposes, the ways in which we thwarted everything that he's been about and he, he poured all the wrath that belonged to that on him. And so now we get to be a people who can look at God and say, I don't want to and we are not consumed. I'm not advocating that as the way to relate to God. I'm just saying you can actually do that and you are not consumed. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We honor the Lord as holy, 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 because we are not holy, not holy, not holy. But in Jesus, he makes us so. Do you see? Moses, Moses was receiving the grace that Jesus would purchase at that bush on that day and he was not consumed. Instead, he was given the very opportunity to live out the call that God has for him in his imperfection that would rescue a people and that would change the trajectory and the movement of God's redemption forever. And that's what he's doing with you and me. That's, that's why he came and that's why he died so that you would not be consumed so that you could then be brought in to be participants in the crazy mission of redemption that God's doing. And we're gonna go liberate people. Like that's what God, Jesus says. He says, I'm just sending you out. You know what I'm sending you out to do? To go tell everybody about this Jesus who liberates people, make you free. It's amazing. Like it's amazing. That's why we're not consumed. That's why we get to participate with confidence. It's because we know that we know that we know. We know who he is, the great I am. And so this, um, this meal that we come to, this table that God invites us to is, is the table where ultimately all of our objections get answered. Jesus is saying, you come here every time and you just remember that because of me, all has been covered. Because of me, all purpose and power has been granted. And so go, Go with my power, go in my power to bring about life and transformation and change everywhere you go. That's the great mission of God to us, the great commission, that we would tell that story of redemption everywhere he sends us. And he is sending us. To be a Christian is to be a called person and to be a sent person. Loved ones, you are called people and you are sent people. By I am, by I am, the one who always has been. Let us be a people who will come to the table and then go out from the table because of that grace. Let's pray.